Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Positively Trek. I'm Bruce Gibson. Thank you for joining us. This is a special edition of a book club episode. So Dan's not with me right now because what I'm just doing right now is a quick, brief introduction to what this episode is about. So a couple weeks ago, I was the host of a panel, the moderator of a panel at Star Trek Mission Chicago. You guys have probably heard me talk about it on the show. And I reached out to Reed Pop like months before this convention started because I felt like there should be a book and comics panel represented at the show. So we got that all set up. And so that Friday, April 8th, we had the book panel at Star Trek Mission Chicago. And on the panel, of course, was myself along with authors John Jackson Miller, Dayton Ward, and then friends and fans of books. We had Jesse Earle and Christy DeClerc Deslaghi who, by the way, is the one who provided the audio of the panel that you're about to listen to. So, you know, we we couldn't necessarily tap into the audio system. So Chrissy set up her equipment near the speaker. So, you know, the audio is not always going to be perfect. It's going to sound like you're in the room, actually. So turn those speakers up and enjoy this panel where we talk about the books from the last couple years and some upcoming books, including a big announcement that we made at the panel. So check it out and enjoy. This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our wonderful supporters on Patreon, including our Constitution class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, Carl Morris, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, John Blaber, and Jesse Earle. Thank you all so much for your support of the Positively Trek podcast. If you would like to become a patron of the show, go to patreon.com slash positively trek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and more. Again, that's patreon.com slash positively trek. Thank you once again. And now let's get back to the show. I'm so excited because I was at the ITW panel this morning and there were only 20 people and I thought, well, if we can do half of that, I'll be happy. But we got more, so that's good. What's that? You doubled it. I doubled it. Even maybe more than doubled it, right? So welcome everyone to uh, Trek Beyond the Screen. They told me to come up with an exciting title and I thought that was exciting. So we're going to talk about Star Trek books and comics. 
which is some of my favorite things about Star Trek. And let's, well, yeah, I'm Bruce Gibson. I'm on a Positively Trek podcast where we cover books. So we, I do that with Dan Gunther. I've also co-hosted Literary Treks, and I still appear there because they can't get rid of me. <laughs> and uh, as you can tell, I love books. So let's work down and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, and if you've published or written anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I am Jesse Earl. Uh, many people may know me as Jesse Gender on the YouTubes. Um, I am technically a Trek author because I've written for Modifius, which is the Star Trek Adventures tabletop RPG. Um, I wrote the like characters for Discovery crewmers and such on that, and then I've done unofficial Star Trek stuff on my YouTube page where I write about like LGBTQ issues, social issues in uh, in Star Trek. But uh, mainly, my job here is to be a fan of all of these people's works and to be like, oh my gosh, you write Star Trek stuff? That's so cool. And that's, so that's my job. So. All right, well, hi, I'm Chrissy Twixalagi. I, uh, I haven't really published anything Trek-wise, uh, although, I'm an historian <laughs> by trade, Trekkie by heart, uh, and so on the podcast that I do, one is Infinite Diversity, we talk about New Trek. The other podcast I do is History with the Zalagis, and the two episodes this week were Trek-related, so there's that. So I've written about Trek in that way but nothing else, track-wise. Anyway, this is exciting. <laughs> uh, I'm John Jackson Miller. I strip-mine my childhood for a living, uh, <laughs> uh, doing a lot of work mining uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, various other franchises. Uh, I have about 15 minutes I can do on the connections between Star Trek and Star Wars that I will spare you, uh, but you can catch me at the table. Uh, and we need to mention that before we're over, where we're all at, but probably at the end here. Uh, I have most recently, uh, in addition to uh, this novels for, uh, I did a, 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 a Enterprise War novel for Discovery, uh, the, uh, the Giorgio novel, Die Standing for Discovery, uh, most recent Star Trek book out is Star Trek Picard Rogue Elements, that's uh, Rios's, uh, how Rios got the uh, La Serena. Uh, most recent novel out, I, I can mention this at least, but that the, the, uh, the Star Trek Kenobi novel just got reprinted on Tuesday, so it's weird that the first place I have this is here. Heresy, heresy. Oh no, there is no conflict. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations, this all works. Hi, my name is Dayton Ward, and first of all, it's nice to see people again. So, I see so many familiar faces from cons near and far. Right here. So, um, I uh, write a lot of Star Trek, probably more than is considered healthy. Um, I'm also a consultant to uh, Paramount's global franchise arm, working with the consumer products group. Uh, and to a much lesser extent, uh, I do occasionally provide insight or questions to, or answers to questions asked by members of the different writing staffs on the different shows. Uh, my most recent infliction upon you all, the written word, is uh, the first <laughs> book in the Coda trilogy, which is sort of brings the curtain down on the interconnected literary universe that we had created over a period of many years. Uh, reactions vary. Uh, it's, so we'll see. We'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it at least once before it's over. Was it a curtain or a guillotine? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. What's the difference? <laughs> it's, a, it's a guillotine with a bow on it. I, I mean, I, 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 
Well, in some ways, it did destroy a great novel line that was running by Kirsten Beyer, <laughs> which were the Voyager books, and this is the last one to come out. We're just going to review some of the books that have come out in the last couple of years. And uh, unfortunately, Kirsten was going to come to the show and be on this panel, but she couldn't make it to Chicago. She but, found out I was going to be here. <laughs> so then we called Dayton. <laughs> he was the first. Anyway, uh, so that's one of the things we could talk about. So have you, I'm assuming, I know you both have read something. So what are your thoughts about the Voyager novels? I was just going to say, I think they're really, really wonderful. I think Kirsten does such a great job um, evolving the character. I mean, all of you have done such a great job in the literary verse that sadly is now now over. Um, but uh, evolving the characters beyond where they ended in the shows and like bringing them to such a great uh, conclusion. And this one specifically, I thought was just a really great send off to uh, Voyager crew, at least the versions of them that I don't think we'll get to see again. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it should be called the Pocket Universe. Yes, yes. That's, see, that's clever. That's and everybody that's missed a bet on that. Pocket Universe, I quite remember that. Okay. No, I love the Voyager Post series. I really love all of the Post series. I mean, what's not to love, right? So uh, I did like how that got wrapped up. I'm kind of sad that we're not going to get the next one where it's, you know, what happens when uh, we get past the end of the book without Giving spoilers. So. How many here have read the Voyager books? Okay. So the rest of you need to do that. <laughs> Go ahead and get started. We'll wait. <laughs> but if you haven't read those books, maybe you read some of the TOS books that have come out the last uh, few years here. And also to add to this, if you look at the two on the far right, those were uh, Kelvin Timeline books, which originally were supposed to come out a decade ago and then finally got released now. So we've got both one universe and the other in these books. And Dayton has one of the books in here too. Agents of Influence. Right? Yes, I do. Is, it good? Is that a good one? That was a good I one. I think it's okay. I think it's a great one. I'm biased. We also welcome two authors to uh, the Star Trek universe. And we have Cassandra Rose Clark and Alex White. They have both been on Positively Trek, by the way. Plug. And uh, so we also got a TNG book that happens during the time of TNG series, and also another book that focused on Dax within the DS9 series. And then, real quick, we also had Una McCormick writing two autobiographies, Catherine Janeway and Mr. Spock. Mm -hmm. And of course, we've had some novels from Discovery in here, two of them written by John Jackson Miller. And, uh, in which discovery doesn't appear at all. <laughs> How is that possible? So funny. And then we're, we're going to get into more. Just this is a quick review. And then we've had some recent Picard novels that have come out, uh, like The Dark Veil, actually involves some characters from the other pocket universe. And then, uh, hey, look at this. The book that John was just talking about is coming out in paperback. And I get two questions about this book. Is that you on the cover? I don't get that nearly enough. <laughs> and, and then I get, is that Picard? And I'm like, I, 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 it's, uh, I get, I've gotten that one probably a dozen times. Did Picard had hair? <laughs> Who thinks that's Picard? I've had few people say that. They, they're not up on the times. 
See, I just get lost in crystal ball's eyes every time I look at that. That's <laughs> Easy to do. Yeah. yeah. It's a delightful cover. It's a delightful book. It is. I've had more fun writing that book than just about anything. That's your longest, too. Um, so far. So far. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along, Coda, which ended that whole pocket universe of Star Trek fiction for the last 20 years. Dayton, why? Why do this to us? Why not? Why not? No. Um, it's a very complicated question very complicated and drawn-out answer. Uh, it's only a, how much time we have on this panel? <laughs> so, um, basically it was felt that we, uh, with the new shows coming out, that uh, the continuity in the novels needed to be uh, paused. I mean, that was the original, I think that was the original word. But uh, given the idea that they want the shows and the books to kind of harmonize with each other, the, the difficult decision was made to bring it all to a close. Um, how we got there was a subject of much debate over many months. Uh, there were, you know, friends became enemies, enemies became friends, shots were fired. It was, it was a very animated conversation between the three of us and our editor uh, before we arrived at what we, what we ended up inflicting upon everybody. It was not undertaken lightly, it was not undertaken with any cynicism or uh, hatred of the material. We were very deeply invested in the material. We wanted to bring it all to a proper conclusion. Uh, with high stakes, and you know, the story had to matter. It, you know, it shouldn't be. Uh, it, it should be a story with some weight to it. So it was a. It was a very difficult undertaking. It's not something I'm keen to do again. You know, so, but I was glad to be a part of it. Uh, I, I hope we did it well. But ultimately, that's your opinion, not mine. I'd like to know opinions. What do you think of Coda? Or how do you feel about the universe ending that was created for 20 years? I mean. Uh, well, I was just going to say, as, as a fan who, you know, I got into Trek right in Star Trek Enterprise era, so I got into it right when it disappeared on me forever, so it was a great time to be a Trek fan, but um, for me, the pocket books were like the books that I, that I look forward to, like that was my Trek that I got to look forward to. Um, so thank you, for number one, for that, like that was my Trek for the longest time, it meant a lot to me. Um, and so, like, to get to Coda, uh, you know, I was crying and I was angry and also, like, very appreciative of the ability to have this ending, you know, as many Star Wars, you know, you spoke about it in your prologue, <laughs> as many Star Wars fans know, it just, that universe got wiped away when Disney bought it. And so, I feel seen. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was hard to see that. And so this is, the, at the very least, like... I felt like I got conclusion with these books, and it was not always my favorite thing. My character, some of my favorite characters, uh, had difficult endings. But I think I always appreciated the work that you put into it, and that the the effort that was put into it, and the sense of finality that you were able to bring to it. And also, I think to um, make it feel like, even though it was, it will probably never ever get a mention on the shows themselves. It felt like it had weight on the shows. Like it actually felt like they had influence on what the shows were doing and that they sacrificed themselves in true Trek spirit to to perpetuate the universe that we're still watching today. So I, I very much loved it. Thank you very much. The um, thing that Star Trek has that Star Wars didn't, because I, I wrote the novel that rebooted Star Wars canon more or less, uh, called A New Dawn. And the problem with that going in just very simply was they could not give J.J. Abrams a billion dollar movie where the opening crawl is 35 feet long and, and says that Han and Leia have three children, two of them are dead and one of them killed one of the other ones. They just weren't going to do it. Um, but they didn't have time travel. 
they didn't have uh, alternate dimensions. They didn't have anything else. And so, um, you know, Star Trek has it, and Star Trek also has a um, a, a tradition of doing finale episodes. Uh, not starting at the beginning, but later on. And so it made sense that they were able to do this. And it was, I mean, I'm a fan of the books going back to the 70s. I mean, I, that's how far back I go. I just dated myself, I'm sorry. Um, so, I mean, I, when Pocket got the license, I was there day one. You know, from, so, so from the motion picture novelization up to the latest release, I have bought them all. So I had no dreams about contributing to this universe when I started writing, you know, more than I care to say out loud. Um, but so to be in a position where we can help bring part of it to a proper, what we hope was a proper conclusion, was, uh, was quite uh, daunting. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. these were, post series stuff was very important in those, those years that we didn't have the stories uh, coming on television. And uh, I, you know, I'll echo, I do appreciate that it got brought to a conclusion as opposed to being forgotten, you know. And I think there's gonna be little bits and pieces that people up on the showrunners right now are very attentive to that, and I'm appreciative of that. There's, in fact, if you go to, has anybody seen the Strange New Worlds exhibit that we have? So, so pay attention to the signage uh, that is on the outside and the inside. You'll notice that a few characters have first names that they did not have before, and they are both pulled from the novels. Including one very deep cut, which I was actually surprised. I didn't know that was coming. Um, I mean, my, go ahead, go ahead. I would say my favorite is Una, named after the wonderful Una McCormick. Yes. Right. Yes. That, that, was, yeah. that was our tribute to Una because we're all, we're all See, fans and admirers. The books matter. Mm -hmm. I'm yes. telling you, because it builds this rich universe that the creators of the TV show can dive into and pull some things out, whether they give the authors credit or not. It happens, right? So there's things that I see in the new series that I go, wait, that reminds me of this book. Hey, that came from that novel. This came from a novel from the 1970s. I mean, it's all in there. It's just this rich Star Trek universe. Whether it's canon or not, whether it fits in the continuity or not, doesn't really matter. It's just great storytelling. And I didn't mind that the Cody universe exploded and exploded and everything else. Spoilers. <laughs> because that's the, what it is. It's, a, it's, it's the coda, you know? I mean, I'm not giving anything really away by saying that because we know that there's an end to it is what I'm trying to get at. But it doesn't matter because the Star Trek universe continues on. The stories continue on. And what happened in that timeline still exists. Those books are still there to read today. I'm very passionate about this, I can tell right now. So <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll echo the statement, like, uh, and I'm not saying this just because I'm on a panel of people who have written these books, but like, legitimately, I've, I've made the argument that like, I think the best Star Trek stories are in the novels. I think you are able to have more time to like, really flesh out the characters and delve into them. And this is, this is not an insult on any of the shows, because I love the shows to death, obviously, but I really just, I think, some of the best storytelling in the Trek universe is is in the novels, whether it be all the way back to like the novels in the 70s and get Spock must die and the <laughs> insanity that is that stuff. So you can get the crazy weirdness or you can get some really um, just storytelling that you didn't necessarily get to get in more episodic television like TNG. You get to see characters like Worf and Picard and all these characters grow. And then also new characters um, like uh, Teresa Chen, who I adore and everyone. Like, so there's just, there's some great stuff I think in the novels. Well, and also, you know, when you think of the TOS novels, they're not creating a continuity. They're, they're, all the books don't follow one another. And in a lot of ways, we're going back to that with DS9, 
probably with Voyager eventually. Um, we've had that, of course, with TNG, which we saw in a previous slide. So it's kind of nice to go back to those days where maybe if you weren't following all those books and that continuity, you can now go into a new TNG book. I know that takes place during the series and you didn't have to read a bunch of other stuff to get it. Although, if you read something that is part of that continuity, the authors do a good job of summarizing and catching you up. If you, didn't, you don't have to read everything to understand what's going on. I've done that even in Star Wars. You know, that, that's huge in itself, but the novels catch you up on that. So, I'm, I'm in love. So. <laughs> I love the books. So, anybody here haven't read Coda Trilogy? So, okay, good, we have that happen. Actually, those who had your hand raised, raise your hand again. Hands again. Okay. Okay. You have not read it. Okay. Dane, why don't you ask some kind of obscure Star Trek trivia question and give away this trilogy of books to those who had their hands raised? Okay, fine. And you have to raise your hand to answer questions. Don't shout. Yeah, don't shout the answer. Let's just see what happens. All right. So off the cuff. All right. And this will be appropriate because it's, we're screening it today. So if Star Trek The Motion Picture, there is exactly one prop that they brought over from the original show. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna hazard he might know the answer. Go. The uh, medical tool that Dr. Chapel is using in the sick bay. That is incorrect. <laughs> in the back there. It's uh, Uhura's original Bluetooth. That is the winner right there. Get it at the end. You can get the Did I phrase the question? Maybe that's what caused the confusion. It's the original prop, not a recreation. They actually went into a box and pulled her old earpiece out because when she sat down for the first day of filming on the set, she started doing this. Where's my earpiece? And everybody went, what the hell are you talking about? And so, yeah, they really ran into a box and found an old earpiece and, and stuck it in her ear. Is, he, is your answer really right? Because you said Bluetooth? They have Bluetooth. <laughs> <laughs> it had to be Bluetooth, right? It was wireless. It's totally cool. So, so question, question for both of you that I'm always curious about. How do you go, I mean, with something like Coda, you kind of had a mandate from the beginning, like you want to end out the trilogy. But when, you, when you're when you thinking of an idea for a book, how does, what's that process like? How do you come up with the concept? How do you pitch it to to pocket um, books or whoever, Simon & Schuster? Like, what's the process going into that? I check my bank balance and see what I'm going to I mean, not, not to make light of it, but um, it varies. There is no one answer to the question, and it depends on um, a, a number of factors. It could be as simple as I get a phone call from an editor and saying, I need a TOS novel for 2020. Uh, or we're doing a trilogy, and we want you to write one of the books. Or, or I, on, on occasion, will just pitch an idea. I've got this great idea for a next generation novel, and I'd like to pitch it. Um, that's my situation, because I've been doing it for a while. If it's if it's if you're if you're starting out, and even in the case of folks like Alex White and Cassandra Rose Clark, they had to submit a proposal for the novel, um, and I'm not exactly sure how they were. I don't know if they were approached or if they approached Gallery Books. I, I honestly don't know. 
Um, so they wrote a more detailed proposal, 10 or 12 pages, and then it got vetted by the editor, and then it was approved by the licensing office at Paramount. And then the, uh, they were given the green light to write the manuscript. That's generally how the process works, but for those of us who've been doing it for a while, it's a little more loose than that. I do. Uh, I did an interview with Alex, and I believe that they were approached. So that's okay. So I want to say that's. I, I believe you're right. I think another win that we've had in recent years is not only do we get these books, but we've also been getting them as audio books, which we hadn't been getting for a while. And I used to hear that all the time. When are we going to get audio books? Like, like I would know. I, I don't run the show. <laughs> But uh, that's is there any, do you ever work with the readers of the audiobooks? Uh, not with the readers, but with, with the producers. Uh, uh, Karen Perlman, I'm constantly sending her pronunciation lists of everything. When I did the Prey trilogy, I worked with uh, Felix Bauman back with the Klingon. He teaches Klingon in, uh, in Sweden. And so he sent uh, an audio file, which was the pronunciations of everything, sort of like a Berlitz audio tape of. of uh, well, you don't 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 use the don't use it as it's said in the show because it's incorrect. Orion. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we the the Robert Petkoff does a wonderful job, and also uh, uh, January Lavoy. Yeah, the, uh, that's, it's pretty much standard now that at some point after we deliver the manuscript, probably, I don't know, no, no less than two months before publication, we will be approached by the producers and they'll send us a preliminary pronunciation guide. And, usually, and there's a monstrous database of all the Star Trek terms. But if you introduce something new in your book, then obviously they need to know how to say these names. And I can already predict that the one that I just wrote them is going to throw them into fits because I had to come up with dozens of crazy names. So they will give us a pronunciation guide and we will go through and we will spell it out phonetically and figure out you know which syllable has the emphasis and all of that and then um, return it and then they give that to uh, the audiobook reader which is usually Robert Petkoff but there are other folks that come in if it's more appropriate. Um, it's just part of the process now. I could, I could use that to on a podcast. Because there's sometimes we're sitting there, you know how it is. Oh, yes. You're like, uh, I think it's pronounced this way, but maybe it's pronounced that way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, not only that, audio dramas, that was introduced to Star Trek recently. We haven't had any of these in quite a while. So this was based on Star Trek Picard, No Man's Land, featuring Rafi and Seven of Nine. And this takes place between season one and season two of the series. And it's written by Kirsten Beyer and Mike Johnson. And the lovely thing about this is that if you listen to this, well, if, if you haven't watched season two, it's too late, but, or if you have watched season two, it's too late. But it was great because when I listened to this, it came out right before season two, and it just felt like it fit right into flowing in to that because it really examines the relationship between these two characters and the adventure that takes place in this. Mm -hmm. Did you guys get to listen to it? Or? I did, as a queer Star Trek fan, uh, the first 10 minutes which was just Seven and Raffi on a date, uh, made me very, very pleased. <laughs> My poor shiver heart was just uh, was exploding with joy that day. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was really wonderful. Um, you know, it brought me back to, I, I think honestly, Star Trek should do more audio dramas in my opinion, if I, if I may poke the bear on that one, because uh, you look at something like Big Finish over in Doctor Who, um, and they bring back so many of the actors to do parts for that, and they're able to like uh, to like do things with these actors that are no longer able to do something on screen for various different reasons: age, time, budget, uh, things like that. I think it's a really, really so wonderful. Yes. Um, 
but yeah, no, it's a, it's. I think it's a really great medium. And then I also just love audio dramas as well as I think they're they allow the authors to do their own things, but then also have a little bit more of, have actors involved as well. So, that, but also still interpretive with the audience. Like I will evangelize audio dramas to the day I die because it is such a collaborative medium. Not only on the back end, which is what television is like, you present everything to the audience, but then the audience with audio dramas gets to add their own imagination into the audio as well. And it's honestly, I think, one of my favorite mediums um, generally, which is why books also do the same sort of thing, allows you to put your imagination into it as well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm actually kind of surprised that with this, as podcasts are becoming more popular, mm -hmm. that we're not seeing more of a resurgence of that. Maybe that's coming. Yeah, I hope so. Big Finch figured it out. Let's steal from Dr. Who. Yeah, those for the of you who haven't purchased this, please do, so we can get more. <laughs> <laughs> because there's a certain, um, yeah, there's a production quality to this. It's not just actors reading. I mean, it does have a lot of sound effects. The whole atmosphere is, is created. You can close your eyes and almost picture that it's on the screen. You're just not seeing it on the screen. You're just hearing it. And all the, those sounds just kind of inform your senses as to what's going on. And it, it's it's really great. I mean, it doesn't replace the novels. These guys write, but hey. Yeah, it's yeah. a compliment. It's a compliment. Add sound effects to your books, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have here live with, oh, well, they're not live. It's here, here are the two authors, Kirsten Byer and Mike Johnson. Hi, I'm Kirsten Byer co-creator, writer, and producer of the television series Star Trek Picard. And I'm Mike Johnson, longtime Star Trek comics author. Together, we wrote the Star Trek Picard audio drama No Man's Land, a fully dramatized Star Trek adventure written and produced exclusively for audio. Features two beloved Picard stars in their iconic roles. Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine and Michelle Hurd as Raffi, alongside a full voice cast. We can't wait for you to hear it. Check it out. Simon Schuster Audio today. Nerds. So, two things, about, so, so two, th two things about that video. That actually is Mike Johnson's living room. And Kirsten has not read any of those books behind her. All right. One other thing that I just want to add, too, because I, I mentioned being uh, queer, and I'm just looking at this book, and I, and I just want to say it because it doesn't often get said. One of the other things that I really love about novels is it allows things to be uh, like made more explicit and, and drawn out that weren't necessarily um, done on the show. Um, for those of you who don't know, I, I mean, I'm trans, and Alex White, um, who wrote this, is non-binary, and wrote about Jetsia Dax, who is a character that I know many LGBTQ people in general, but especially trans people, resonated with for a trans reading of. Um, and so for, for me, personally, to read this book was really wonderful because it was uh, something that, like, Discovery today with characters like Grey and Adira is starting to do, like, really explore what, what that element of the Trek franchise meant to trans people. And so this book, getting to go back and do a little bit of, like, explicitly reclaiming that character um, for, for non-binary people in this novel. Um, it meant a lot to me, and I know a lot of trans and non-binary people really appreciated it, so um, it, it's something that I just really appreciated about this novel in specific. But I also know, like, reading some of your novels, you've also made mention of, like, trans and non-binary people in, in your work and, like, other, other identities as well, um, which I've been very appreciative of, which is something that, back during, for various reasons that we don't need to get into, but for various reasons in, in past Star Treks wasn't able to be made explicit for, for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, and so I just, I, I appreciate that from the novel story, so, especially this one, so. 
Well, that's why it's sitting here. I know. Because <laughs> you like it. Um, anybody want to hear about new stuff coming? Okay, so in May, May 17th, from Eagle Moss Hero Collection, they're publishing Star Trek Shipyards. They have several of these books. This is the Alpha Quadrant and Major Species, Volume 1, by Ben Robinson. So that's coming out in about a month and a half. Uh, then there's kind of a gap for a while. Um, I think it has to do with COVID and getting paper or something like that. I don't know, but something related to that. But then we've got a cookbook. Yeah, September 20th. <laughs> As long as Neelix isn't. <laughs> now, I don't know any of the recipes yet or anything about this, but, you know, I have a feeling that we all should take a chance of trying one of these recipes, each one of us, and comparing our stories. John, are you a good cook? <laughs> I've been asked not to cook. I've been asked not to draw. I've been asked not to sing. <laughs> and he was asked not to write the cookbook. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a cookbook. And then we, this, this has been previously announced, a new Star Trek Picard novel, Second Self, by Una McCormick. That's coming out September 13th. And it explores the character of Rafi, but also includes Elnor and Jean-Luc Picard himself. And it appears to take place right before season two starts, uh, since they're part of the Starfleet Academy. It's, uh, they go on an adventure and involves Romulans, of course. Rafi and her Romulans. Um, yeah. Well, we know it's not during season two. No, I think it's like right before season two. I think they, I think they fly back to the future for a hot second, deal the adventure, and then go back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. We're ready for a, a novel announcement? Yeah. Hit it! So I have an extremely strange new world, and uh, I, it is a, a wonderful road trip quest, various other things. You will have a blast with it. I had a blast with it, and uh, I, uh, it is coming out November 8th. Uh, I do not know if that is not, a, that is, that is not the cover yet, is it? No, 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 that's not the cover. <laughs> that is, that's, yes, I was going to say, that's probably hard. But, uh, but yeah, it'll be audiobook, hardcover, uh, ebook. Uh, and uh, and uh, it will be there for your uh, Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas gift giving. And this is your longest book. Slightly longer than Slightly longer, okay. So about we'll, we'll see what we're done editing it. So, my, my pitch for your cover art should be like those romance novels where like a shirt is just open. Yeah. And he's like riding a horse. Yeah. Hey, you know, it yeah. would fit. Um, <laughs> there's a scene, isn't there? Well, there are quite a few scenes. And, 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 and if there isn't one, we can add one. 
So I have two questions. Yes. You. Uh, does your book explore why Pike's hair is so fluffy? And <laughs> <laughs> call that the wonder. He's a he's a long way from a hair dryer where he's at. I can say that. Okay. And so. then uh, number two, more serious question, and this is for both of you. Like when you're working on books that are connected to these new series, how's the coordination with the with the show when you're trying to write? Well, we're working with Kirsten, and she's on the show, and uh, Dayton is also working with Kirsten, and so Dayton's looking at these things too, and it's just another couple levels in there, and uh, and you know, it's it allows us to actually both write stories that will fit someplace that can have some relevance to get the lives of the characters that are not going to be trod upon immediately. Although you know, one of the reasons that the books exist, and one of the things the books are good at, is we're very good at fixing things that happen later on. And that's another whole conversation as well. But, but, uh, but uh, yeah, we're uniquely positioned to be able to, uh, you know, self-repair the continuity when we need to. Continuity putty. Yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, I, I, well, actually, this is this is my cooking phrase. I, 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 I talk about us like we're like we're bakers. Uh, you eat your mistakes. So if there's ever a continuity mistake, it's not a mistake. It's just an opportunity to tell a story around it. Mm -hmm. oh, Sounds like life. <laughs> 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 to look yeah. some continuity mistakes in my life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Very good. So then, uh, David Mack has a new TOS book coming out December 13th. This is not the cover. This is something he's created or someone created for him temporarily until that comes out. But the cool thing about this novel is that it's not just TOS, but it's also kind of a crossover with the Vanguard series. That, uh, gosh, how long has that been? Almost a decade? Uh, 2012 was the last one. 2012 was the last one, yeah, so it was a decade when that ended. Which, tell us a little bit about Vanguard for those who don't know me. Has anybody read the books? The Vanguard novels? Yeah. Okay, there's a precious few of you. Thank you, by the way. Um, for those of you who have not, it is a series that takes place at the same time as the events of the original series. Uh, it's set on a space station in a distant part of, it's like at the edge of the Federation space, uh, in an area that's contested by the Federation, the Klingons, and the Tholian assembly. And so there is, Starfleet happens upon a secret thing from an ancient civilization that is believed long dead, and they believe that they have to protect this information at all costs. So they put a space station out there, Starbase 47, or codenamed Vanguard. And we created an entire group of new characters that staff the station, and we also created crews for two different ships that are assigned to the station. Uh, and so basically their adventures weave in and out of the continuity of the original show, and we try to add, we try to add nuance and context to various things that the, inter that the original show introduced and so when you read the books, our, our goal is that you come away with a new appreciation for certain episodes and certain events, and also how those events informed our storyline, because we were, we're all big original series fans, so we worked very hard to uh, honor the continuity of the original show. I didn't think we'd I'm excited too. Uh, we it was a limited it was a limited series. It only ran for seven novels and uh, a, a, a collection of short novellas, and that was by design. It was not meant to be open ended. So we told our story, and we got in, and we got out. Uh, we left it all on the field. We thought 
And then uh, apparently Dave's editors at Gallery Books asked him to write an original series novel with a tie to Vanguard because the Vanguard ebooks are selling very well, apparently. <laughs> Nobody told us, uh, but hey, they are. So uh, he, I guess he had a meeting with his editors and they asked him to do this and then he called me and said, hey, they want me to dip back into the Vanguard pool, are you okay with that? I'm like, well, yeah, you co-created the series. If I can't trust you to do it right, I don't know who I can trust. So I'm, I'm as excited to read this as everybody else is. Yeah, and the secret books, so before those are kind of a semi-sequel. And, and actually, Agents of Influence is sort of a tie to... Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. Well, you might get more people buying it now, because uh, Dr. Mbenga's first yes. name came out of that. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he gave Dr. Mbenga a, a first name, and apparently Strange New Worlds has opted to use it in some capacity. So that was a surprise to me, too. See, it's all connected. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, just a quick look at some of uh, the comic lines that have come out of IDW recently. We did have a Voyager comic come out, uh, Seven's Reckoning, and uh, there was Hell's Mirror, of course, with Khan and the Mirror Universe. Uh, with, Card, there was a countdown comic leading into the series premiere, and uh, we have a new line called The Adventures of the 32nd Century, and Discovery, the first one focuses on Grudge the Cat. And honestly, I was like, I'm not gonna like this one, but I love this one. Did you guys read that one? You haven't read that one? I have, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's yeah, it's... It's great getting to see things from a cat's point of view because they are they are our rulers and as yes. such we should uh, support them. And then uh, there was a Deep Space Nine line, a short line called "Too Long a Sacrifice" featuring Odo. Wonderful, wonderful. Look at that, they're shaking their heads. Yes. Yes. What do you like about that? It's Deep Space Nine. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I can't say more than that. You know, good mystery and. Yeah, mystery. That's yeah. that's important piece of that. And then year five, Star Trek year five, uh, taking place TOS in the fifth year of the five-year mission. Uh, I picked this one because this is from the collection Omnibus with Gary Seven because very big instrumental role in that comic. And then just this week, we have issue five of Mirror War. So if you like TNG in the Mirror Universe, Scott and David Tipton have been writing those different series. This is a new one that's been coming out. And uh, also issue two of The Adventures of the 32nd Century, featuring Adira. So, um, and then we also have fun with books, like <laughs> the Kung Fu Manual. And David, did you, have you, did you see last week's Picard? I'm just curious. I, I don't I have you There was There was a, a Kirk Fu move that occurred. Did you do that? Yeah. Like, the double clutch? Like, yeah, double clutch that's going on. So. Maybe they got it for the book, I don't know. <laughs> what, what research did you do for this book? <laughs> <laughs> well, as you can tell, it's based on yeah, absolutely no form of martial arts whatsoever. Um, I basically pitched this idea to my editor. I was working on another book for Inside Editions. Uh, it's The Travel Guide to Vulcan, if anybody has seen that. Uh, on sale at the Anderson Books, books are both in the um, I pitched this idea kind of as a test the waters to see how, you know, kind of sense of humor my editor had. And um, I didn't expect it to get greenlit. So 
but he called my bluff. And so I basically sat down with the original show and I picked out my dozen favorite Kirk moves, uh, including, you know, the one where he jumps off the wall and throws himself into the Andorian, uh, which is, you know, I, defies all known physics. I don't know how that works. But. So I pitched it and I broke it down. And if you're familiar with any sort of um, military hand-to-hand -hand combat manual or, or martial arts manual, I broke it down, as we used to say, we broke it down Barney style, step by step, how this move is supposed to work in the world of Star Trek. And you know, there's a disclaimer at the front, please do not try any of this, it's ridiculous and you'll get your butt kicked in a real bar fight. But I had a lot of fun with it and it's, uh, it was just, it's just one of those weird, of course this is my first hardcover Star Trek release, because of course it is, <laughs> because that's the clown that I am. And are we getting a paperback version? <laughs> I have no idea, but I had a lot of fun with it. it, it was, it's, a, it's a great gift humor book for the Star Trek fan in your life. If nothing else, you can hit your opponent with the book. <laughs> I did actually have William Shatner sign a copy for me, and he just kind of gave me this look for a minute and passed it on to the next one. <laughs> he likes to give books. Uh, another fun book uh, that came out recently was the Book of Grudge. I have not read this one yet. Is it any good? It's great. It's good. It's good? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just things that Grudge would like to say in various circumstances. So, yeah. Again, Exactly. Uh, if you have a cat, I'm sure you can relate <laughs> to the Book of Grudge. But uh, we only just have a few minutes left unless the panelists have anything more they want to say or add or if there's anybody has a quick question or open it up to anything. Oh, question. Uh, it's for thing more than anybody that's done like a collaborative like Star Trek uh, well, over the course of multiple installations. Like what does that collaboration process look like as you're playing something out like the Coda Rapid Trilogy? Like, is, is it more you're trading notes back and forth? Is it more these are the ideas we want to do and pick from there? Or what, what does that look like as you're talking to you know, your own ideas too? All of that. Um, I'm not being flippant. No, uh, there's a lot of conversation up front, a lot of emails, a lot of, we had a lot of Zoom calls and Skype meetings and email exchanges and we had a recurring, we had a little private Twitter handle message group that we went to, we called it uh, Wormhole Death Cannon with one end. Um, we were batting ideas back and forth for months before we actually got to a point where we were comfortable enough to write an actual proposal. And then once the proposal was approved at a high level, then we each wrote our outlines for our respective books. So even though you know my name is on my book, if you open the title page, you'll see that the story is written by all three of us. So you know, book one by so and so, story by the three of us. And so yeah, so equal credit, equal blame, however you want to phrase that. Yeah, it's very very intense. Let me get in before everybody evacuates. Uh, that. Uh, yeah, we're, we're uh, Dayton and I are signing uh, booth 1924 uh, down in the middle there. We've got uh, uh, copies of Coda. We've got copies of, uh, of my books. They won't last probably the end of the day. Uh, but then also he and I are going to be signing uh, me four to five at Anderson's bookshop. Him five thirty to six thirty both today and tomorrow. So if you have other questions that we don't have time for, feel free to bring them yeah. to the. Yes. Where's the people at? It's, uh, it's, book, it's called Booth 1924, but it's this sort of island of there's collectibles and everything. We're, we're immediately, if you go to Anthony Rapp, turn around and you've got us. <laughs> and Anderson's books is at 2037. Which is, on, which is even further closer to the wall. Closer to the wall. Yeah, uh, the, the like, signage is non-existent, so you're kind of... <laughs>
wander around until you find people who look sort of like us. So those are the way these books. Yeah, so, so you, got, you ask a question, you get a book. So let me get um, I'll give it to you. Anybody want to do a trivia question to throw out? Well, thank you. Oh, there's a hand up back there. Yes. Um, thank you very much for Bill. I was wondering, uh, you talked a little about and I could not for the life of me believe that she would ever join Section 31 or any other club. Uh, I thought the very first thing that she would do would be to try to recreate her own uh, empire in our universe. And so what I did was I decided I was going to write a novel which was uh, basically devoted to the fact that she had lost more than any person in the history of loss. Uh, she had lost control of the entire known universe, and so I did the inverse of the Kubler-Ross five stages of, of uh, grief, uh, where instead uh, it was instead of, it, I can't remember the exact uh, breakdown, but it was it was defiance and then murder and then plundering and then uh, destruction and uh, and then vengeance. That was the, yeah, that was the five stages, uh, and uh, and I basically took her through the steps that I felt were necessary to get her to be willing to uh, play along in our universe. Uh, and that is one of the kind of things that I think about when I'm asked to figure out a novel. I was wondering uh, where uh, the idea of control in Finnegan uh, came from, and did the idea of sort of like, you know, the idea of flashbacks in the two-quarter uh, to, um, I forget his name, but her Mysterious compatriot? Did that come from you, or did that come from the show? You put that in the middle. Okay, the the mysterious, uh, yeah, the, uh, the 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 character from Discovery uh, that came from uh, you know, Kirsten providing me with information about what was going on in the show. Finnegan actually came from you guys. Uh, they actually suggested there were a couple of characters that could be available that we could use, and when I heard that Finnegan was an option, I said, "Holy cats!" Because uh, this was never an actual real character, and. What blows me away about that audiobook is that January Lavoie is actually able to nail this character's you know, Irish accent. Uh, he, he's, he's a chaos demon. I love him. Uh, he's insane and he's one of the most favorite, most favorite characters uh, that I've ever written. He actually quotes a Chumbawamba song. Uh, and I, uh, or actually, he misquotes it because he doesn't know how to do it. We, don't, we, we didn't clear the song anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, that Jimmy Boy. Yeah. <laughs> But okay. uh, good question. Good question. If you want a novel, come up and get one. Too. So, <laughs> all right, that's about it. Thank you. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.